0: said, it's great to see everyone. It's good to have you all with us today. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, because when we're outside like this, I'm going to be standing in front of the screen, and you're not going to be able to see very well, so I hope you brought your Bible. Turn to John chapter 3. We'll be in the last five verses of John chapter 3 today, and uh, this is our last week in John 3. We We've spent a lot of weeks. I did not plan on spending this much time in John chapter 3, but there is so much good essential gospel stuff in John chapter 3 that I wanted to kind of take our time. And honestly, we could have taken even more time through all of it. But uh, John chapter 3 will be in verse 31 in just a few minutes. But that means that next week starts John chapter 4. And there's a couple of really good stories that are also very essential to gospel teaching in John chapter 4. So again, as I did a few weeks ago, I want to encourage you to invite your family and friends to church with you. Uh, There's going to be an opportunity to share just plainly the gospel of Jesus with them, right? Next week, John chapter 4, we're going to get into the woman at the well, right? Thirsting for living water. Every one of us has a thirst in our lives. Every one of us has a craving. The world is craving living water, and yet we're filling it with all sorts of things because we just don't know. We don't understand exactly what the craving is, and so we'll talk about that quite a bit over the next couple of weeks. So invite your friends. Um, Those invite cards that I had, the square invite cards that I had for you, unfortunately, they have two services on them. And so I had to get new ones printed up. They're on their way. They should be here this next week. So I'll have new invites for the summer, one service, 10 AM. But invite your family and friends. You guys don't need an invite, right? You guys can text them. You guys will text them anyways. So uh, invite your friends. We'll see you guys next week. Um, So last week, we talked quite a bit about purification. I asked you guys, have you noticed how much uh, references and imagery of purification that um, has been in the book of John thus far? Right, and we talked a lot about purification and worshipful living last week. Kind of did like a survey of the book of John thus far and all the pictures of purification from John's baptism, right, from turning water into wine, from Jesus cleansing the temple, and then him talking to Nicodemus saying, You must be born again. And he says, Um, you must be born again, otherwise you will not see the kingdom of God, and then he says, you must be born of water and spirit, and we talked uh, extensively last week about being born of water and spirit, that's not two different things, that's just another way of saying you must be born again, and water symbolizing the purification that comes through Jesus Christ, but also the newness, the newness of life, of being born again of the spirit of God, and so... Uh, Last week I said it is the work of the blood of Jesus that purifies us. It is the work of the blood of Jesus that removes our sin, makes us clean, makes us white before a holy God. And it's not our works at all, right? It's not our actions at all. It's not our actions that save us or cause the new birth. But in light of the new birth, right, that worshipful living, in light of the new birth, in light of our new life, we are called to action. We are called to effective living, to posture ourselves the same way that John the Baptist postured himself, and to live actively right to the increase of him, to the increase of Jesus, and the decrease of us. That's what the Christian walk is all about walking by the Spirit of God. Those who have been born of the Spirit of God, walking by the Spirit of God. It is now all about the increase of Jesus and the decrease of us. Is that how we're living? If you've been changed by the gospel, if you've been made new, born again by the gospel of Jesus, is your life lived to the increase of him and the decrease of yourself? And so let's continue on today. Let's read our text. John chapter 3, verse 31. It says this, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Let's pray one more time before we do anything else. Father, again, as we've already prayed this morning, God, we thank you for this gathering. We thank you that we are able to gather as your church, that we are able to gather as your people, to glorify you, Jesus, to hear from your word, to use our gifts one towards another. God, I thank you for the church. And I thank you, God, that we're back together. God, in this service, be glorified. Through your word, be glorified. Through these lives transformed by your word and by your spirit, God, be glorified in your church. God, help us to not be deceived. Open our eyes to our lives. Open our eyes to the way that we're living our lives. Are we truly living to the glory of Christ Jesus, to the increase of Jesus and the decrease of me? And so, God, change us again by your spirit. Change us again by your word. And let us live to the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. 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 So we finished off last week with that wonderful declaration by John the Baptist, which should also be our cry, right? Intentional active, dedicated, living our lives to the increase of him and the decrease of us. And the final verses of chapter 3, in a way, the verses that we just read, verses 31 through 36, in a way kind of summarize and bring all of the chapter, the third chapter of John together for us to see and for us to hold on to and for us to live out. And it starts with answering the question, why? Have you ever come across a toddler and... A toddler's, like, particularly when they start um, speaking, when they start talking, and and, like little talk is so adorable, isn't it? Like, and more often than not, the word out of their mouth is why. You ever have that where kids just gotta know why? They're so inquisitive. Why, dad? Why, mom? Why? Why? And it's just like, sometimes you just gotta say, because I said so, right? But like a toddler, like the important questions often are why. So John the Baptist says, he must increase, I must decrease. And as we get into these last few verses, you see this beautiful question of why. Why is it that he must increase and that John the Baptist must decrease? You see it here in our text. Read those first couple verses again. Actually, let's go back a few verses and and read those verses leading up to it. Uh, Verse 29, it says this. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, right? Jesus. The one who has the bride, the church, is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Okay, so that's kind of the picture of John the Baptist. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete, he says, because Jesus is here. It's his bridegroom. Verse 30 says, He must increase and I must decrease. See, John is seeing the will of God unfold. He's seeing his calling and his mission, his purpose, that prophecy that was foretold of him fulfilled, and thus his joy is complete. Jesus, the Messiah. The word incarnate, the word God in the flesh has come, and he's the one who must increase, and John is seeing this beautiful will of God unfold, and his joy is complete. He is so joyful about it. And remember that even though we're not prophesied like John the Baptist was prophesied of, necessarily, we too have that same glorious calling in Christ Jesus to point to, to make way for jesus to testify of him and as we talked about last week to live boldly and intentionally to the increase of him and the decrease of us and like john hopefully because we've beheld him because we have seen him because he is our surpassing worth we have complete joy in that life That it's not begrudgingly. That it's not, I'm fine if I have to. It's not like a sulky teenager when you ask him to mow the lawn. Okay, fine. But I am boldly and beautifully, fully, because my joy is complete in the increase of him and the decrease of me. A regenerated heart, a regenerated soul, a regenerated life, a person born of the Spirit now desires what the Spirit desires, and so we can Of the fullest joy say more of Jesus less of me and here's the why verse 31 he who comes from above right that's Jesus the eternal words we talked about in chapter 1 he who comes from above is what is above all he is above all he is of the earth John the Baptist anybody else belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way and again back to Jesus he who comes from heaven is above all. The gospel writing here contrasts John the Baptist, a servant of Christ, with Christ himself, pointing to his supremacy, pointing to his sufficiency, this eternal Word, the Word that was there in the beginning, the one who put on flesh, the one who came down, He is from above, and he is above all. This word here, above all, literally means positionally to be on top of. When you look at the Greek there, it means it can mean to be on top of something, above something. But when you dig into the meaning a little bit deeper, you can get into meanings that kind of denote ruling, to reign over something, to be sovereign over something. So the one who comes from above is sovereign ruler over all. The gospel writer says it two times in the same verse. Did you notice that? Verse 31 again, he says, he who comes from above is above all. And then at the end of that verse, it says, he who comes from heaven is above all. And we noted that um, last week that uh, the gospel writer uh, will sometimes phrase things, um, the same thing twice in a slightly different manner. And it denotes some importance. It, it should jump off the page at us that this is important. This is a declarative statement that Jesus has come down and he is sovereign over all. So listen up to the words that he says. Picking up a little bit of wind here. Hopefully it's not too distracting. But the gospel writer, like I said, says it two times. And, and in the middle there, you have the flip side of it. He who is of the earth, verse 31, belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. As I said, John the Baptist, although he's a servant of the Lord, although he is commissioned and called and chosen of God, prophesied in in the book of Isaiah, and he plays a huge role, a big role in the revealing of Christ, but he is simply of the earth. The Greek word there, it's not cosmos like the world, right? So God, for God so loved the world, the cosmos right and in all the brokenness and sinfulness of the world god even yet loves the world that he gave his only son the word here earth is more literally earth and it it highlights the limitations and the finiteness of the individual how how there's a stop in a start how there are limitations to someone who is of the earth so john the baptist is of the earth he's limited he is finite It says that he belongs to the earth. It actually makes me think of Adam when he was formed of the dust of the ground, and to the ground he will return, right? Dust to dust, ashes to ashes. So mortal and so limited. Verse 31 says he is of the earth. He belongs to the earth, and it also says that he speaks in an earthly way. He's of it. He belongs to it. Speaks in that way. Have you ever met someone with a pretty good accent? Have you ever talked to Alban around here? You guys know Alban. Alban's great. He has the best accent. I like. We just need to have him up here, just reading scripture every week. He's got that real thick German accent. He might not think he has it, but it's there. Oh boy, it's there. You ever talked to Sydney Davidson? Right? Sydney Davidson still has a bit of an accent. She's been here for a while, but she still sounds like she's from the south. She is of the south, belongs in the south, and speaks in a southern way. John the Baptist. He must decrease because he is of the earth. He is just a servant. He is of the earth, belonging to the earth, and speaking in earthly ways, doing his best he can in the power of Jesus Christ. But now the Christ is here, and his joy is complete to live to the increase of him, and now I must decrease because I am just a broken of the earth vessel. And listen now how Jesus speaks. The one who is above, the one who is above all. Verse 32, it says this. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets the seal to this, that God is true, for he whom God has sent, he utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. Verse 32 bears witness. The The Greek word there, The root of that word is martyr. Many of you know that, that witness in the Greek is the word that we get for martyr. Someone who testifies and bears witness to, gives evidence for, when you look into that meaning, it actually has some legal connotations. It feels very legal in its jargon. If you're false, if you are lying, you are guilty of perjury. And so your testimony, your evidence, your witness is true. The one who is from above testifies to what he has seen and heard. But yet our text says that nobody listens. Nobody receives his truth. No one receives the truth. It actually reminds me of John chapter 1. Remember what we talked about the first week? I think actually Dan preached on this. Verse 9 says, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Right? Jesus Christ. The word of God coming into the world. That light was coming in. He was from above, but he's coming into the world. Verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Verse 11, he came, in, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Right? They didn't receive his testimony. They didn't understand that he was God come down in the flesh, the Messiah, the long-awaited one. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born of God, who were born not of blood nor the will of flesh or the will of man, but of God. So here again, we have it kind of contrasted against itself. John the Baptist and Jesus himself, right? The one who was of the earth, but the one who was of heaven from above But the beautiful thing that comes by the work of the Spirit, we too go from being of the earth, of man, to go of God. We were once of a natural mind, of a fleshly nature, but being born again by the Spirit, our Spirit is made new. Verse 33 of our text, it says, Whoever receives this testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. It's an interesting phrase. To set your seal to something. We don't don't do that much anymore. But, right, like the, the Greek word there, it would point to like a small engraved object for setting a seal in clay or wax, like a signet ring. And it would indicate ownership or authority or authenticity that what is sealed up is true. Have you believed in Jesus? Have you received his testimony? And have you sealed it up in your heart as it being true? Not just a truth or not just your truth, but the absolute truth from God himself. Those are the words that are uttered in scripture that Jesus is truth. Have you received him? Have you received his testimony? Have you received the truth of the gospel and marked it, sealed it as true? Have you owned your faith and submitted to him? And have you submitted to him in joyous surrender, complete, because he must increase, and I'm happy to decrease? Have you heard his testimony and declared, not just with words, but by faithful living, by believing that is marked with beautiful living, that God is true? As the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and stirs you today, I would ask you to respond. If that is not true in your heart, if that is not true in your life, then today is the day to repent. Today is the day to turn from the direction that you're living. Maybe you've been in church for a while, but you know the living of your life does not truly match what you say you believe. Today it is time to truly, truly believe to believe in Jesus, the one who is from above, is to believe God, for he is God, the son who is sent by the Father in the power of the Spirit, uttering the very words of God himself. And he gives the Spirit without measure, as it says, without limit, without reservation. Read that text again, verse 34, it says, He. Uh, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. The Spirit without measure there. It's a little mysterious to what the evangelist here is saying. Uh, D.A. Carson in his commentary, I I found it very helpful this week contrast, the, uh, it, it goes along with the contrast between uh, the comparison between John the Baptist and Jesus, uh, and, and as, as I read this, hopefully it'll help us understand. It says this, throughout redemptive history, God has spoke to his people through many accredited messengers, right? The prophets through the Old Testament scriptures, and each one of them received the measure of the spirit that was required for their assigned task. Three centuries after John wrote this, this gospel, there's a rabbi named Aha He rightly commented that the Holy Spirit, who rested on the prophets, did so according to the measure of the prophet's assignment. John the Baptist, too, right? He was of the earth. He was finite and limited, and he, too, was empowered by the Spirit for his task. But not so with Jesus. Jesus was not limited. Jesus was not finite. God gives the Spirit without limit. John the Baptist already testified that he had seen the Spirit descend and remain on Jesus. It's a beautiful fulfillment of isaiah's prophecy and here we see it repeated in a new form that the father loves the son and has given all things into his hands has poured the spirit out on the Son without measure without limit it is fully there in christ and the beautiful thing is that when christ is speaking with the disciples later in this gospel he promises that holy spirit that that holy spirit would be in them. That the Holy Spirit would not just be with them but that the Holy Spirit would also be in the church. Then you look at the book of Acts the power of God the Holy Spirit of God comes in that mighty rushing wind right that pneuma the Holy Spirit filling the church empowering the church to live its purpose to declare the wonders of Jesus. We Must be changed by the Spirit of God. The church in America is woefully ineffective. It is woefully um, turned in on itself. Too much of the time, we are a Sunday Christian club, and I think our church does some things pretty well, but we woefully just kind of go through the motions of church, but the church of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit of God to proclaim and preach the gospel of Jesus, how effective would we be if we live that purpose like John the Baptist did? The increase of him, the decrease of me. As you continue reading in verse 35, you see that it's the love of the Father, the love that... The Father has for the Son that he has held nothing back from him. All these things are in his hand. The one who is from above is above sovereign over all. Let's look at, these, at the last verse of this chapter together. And as we do that, um, I was thinking about this. this. This verse gets really straightforward. Verse 36 is like just plain, and I love it. You ever run across somebody who's just like super straightforward? Sometimes they can be a little blunt, a little abrasive. Sometimes they can rub us the wrong way. I've always loved those people in my life. I'm not looking at anybody. I've always loved those people in my life. Because you know what you got with them. It's just blunt. It's just plain. It's so wonderful and beautiful. And like, there's a lot of times where we like to make the scriptures like mysterious. Like, we like to make the scripture like, oh, I don't know if I understand it. And, like, then we think that, like, like, that's my number one excuse is, like, that it's difficult to understand. Like, there's that plausible deniability. I just don't want to obey, so I plead ignorance. Like, I really don't get it. And this verse just makes it so plain. There was a a quote that I used, I think it was back in our Acts series from Kierkegaard. And... Uh, it said this, the Bible is very easy to understand, but we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we are, obliged, we are obligated to act accordingly, right? Like the Bible is easy to understand, but we Christians, were scheming swindlers. I am a scheming swindler. Pretend that it's hard so that I, and like, I because when I, when I know what it says, when I understand what it says, now I have this obligation to actually do it, to actually obey, right? And that's the whole thing we've been talking about over the last few weeks with believing and doing, that faith without works is worthless. But faith with works together, is alive and vibrant. It's proving, right? We don't work hard to be purified. We don't work hard to be made right, but because we are made right by the person and work of Jesus and we believe in that testimony from the one who is above, we now live accordingly in obedience to his word. So now, verse 36, it says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's plain Whoever believes, hopes in his testimony, who receives the testimony of Jesus, puts their faith and trust. Remember, we looked at that word belief, and and the the, the deeper you go into the definitions, the, the last one I shared was that you cast your life upon a person. That's trust. That's believing. Whoever believes in Jesus, and that believing marked with beautiful living, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. It's pretty plain. And this one here gets even a little heavier. But the wrath of God remains on him. We've seen this a few times now with the gospel writer, with John here. He says the same thing a couple different ways to create a robustness. He says the same thing a couple different ways so that we might have a fuller understanding to make it more plain for you and me. It's not to confuse us. It's so that we make no mistake and make no excuse in this scheming, swindler heart of mine. If you look at that verse, it puts the same thing two different ways. It says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But then on the, on the uh, flip side, he doesn't say whoever does not believe, but it says it differently so that we better understand what the believing is. It says whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. So you see again that believing marked with obedience is key. As we discussed this two weeks ago, do you see the connection between faith and obedience, between faith and action, between being a hearer and a doer, not deceived, not a deceived hearer who thinks he's building something but is really building on shifting sand? Verse 36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Talking about the wrath of God in church makes everybody a little bit uncomfortable. Because a lot of times it's hard for us to rectify two beautiful things that we looked at in the third chapter of John. For God so loved the world. You have a God who is so loving that he emptied himself, that he sent the very best, his one and only son. He loves you so, so dearly, but yet you have a God who is also wrathful towards sin. We're a God who is so holy and so righteous, and I don't know if our minds can comprehend this. He is so pure, so pure that no hint of sin can stand in his presence. Those two things are incompatible. And someone who is of the earth, someone who belongs to the earth, someone who thinks in earthly ways, who needs to be born again of the Spirit of God, me in my own doing, there's no way that me, tainted by sin, can stand before a holy God. Somebody is so holy, righteous, and pure. There's no way I am deserving of all that wrath and anger because I too am sinful. Enter Jesus. Enter Jesus. God hates sin so much but he loves you so much that he sent the only acceptable sacrifice the spotless lamb who purifies, who takes away the sins of the world, his only begotten son, Jesus. That whoever believes, talked about believing, not going to talk about it anymore. Whoever believes in him will not perish, will not experience the wrath of God, but will have the eternal life that comes from God. He loves you that much he hates sin that much. He loves you so much that he provided the way in his son Jesus. God so loves you that he gave his only son to be lifted up on the cross and the full wrath of God was poured out poured out on Christ. So much of us, so because, because of our of the earthness, our limit, limitedness, We think of the cross, and we just think of that brutal beating. If You've seen The Passion of the Christ, right? I I don't know many movies that portray quite as gruesome as that. We think of the gruesome beating that Christ experienced, and man, that's the wrath of God, right? That's the punishment. That's like this much of it. The physical body, the physical torture that Christ went through, that's just for our finite minds to grasp it. But do you realize that Christ was forsaken for you? Like, that the Father turned away? Like, we live in this world, and it's broken. How many of you know that the world is broken? We've experienced a very broken world this last year. All of it. COVID, politics, racial unrest, all of it. Broken, broken, broken. But there is still this common grace that we experience on a daily basis. This world would be gone if it was left to its own devices. If it wasn't just God and his grace just still present and active in this broken world. But Jesus, the beating, the torture, the nails through his body, just a smidgen of the wrath of God. The Father turned his back, turned his face away from Jesus. He experienced the absolute no presence of the Father for a moment. He was truly forsaken so that you would never, ever, ever be. He was truly forsaken and experienced the full wrath of God that is deserved towards sin so that you never would. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But that wrath still belongs to you. That's heavy. I know it's heavy, but that's truth. I know it's heavy, but you have to receive that. You have to do something with that. It's plain, it's not complicated. It's not, oh, I wonder what that actually means. It means what it says. You believe in Jesus, and life is yours forever. You trust the testimony of the one who is from above, who testifies of all that he has seen and experienced, the true, true, truest truth. We believe on him, and life eternal is ours. We believe on him with a life that changes course, born of the Spirit, born of God, And the wrath of God has been put on Jesus, and He paid your price. He paid for your sin. What a beautiful and glorious thing. If you are in this place today, if you are in this place today and you have not put your faith in Jesus, I implore you, it is that plain. The wrath of God is still on you. Believe in Him. Cast your life upon him. Put your faith and your trust in him and receive life eternal. You can then rest assured because it is complete in Jesus. It's not in your goodness. It's not in your best day. living all of it, like just perfectly because you cannot do it on your own. It's all put on Christ and his righteousness becomes yours. But if we don't believe, if we don't obey, we won't see life. And the wrath of God is still on us. And I know that's heavier. That's heavier than what I normally preach. But it's that plain, church. And so this morning, as we conclude, as the band comes, and we respond. There's no magic prayer that I can pray for you. This is between you and Jesus. Put your faith in here. Just confess your sins. say, God, I need you. Jesus, I need your redemption. I need to be made new by the Spirit of God. I need to be born again. Christ, come and make me new. I put my faith in you. Pray that prayer in your heart. Pray that prayer in your heart and allow him to change your life. But also church, okay? A lot of church people in here. A lot of people in here that I know you believe. Sometimes we become lazy. Sometimes we become complacent sometimes the living of our life doesn't match what we say we believe sometimes we need to be revived awakened like shaken up by the holy spirit so that our believing and our living match up my prayer over the last couple of weeks is like god wake up the sleepy wake up the religious wake up those of us who are just going by the motions and let's be filled with the holy spirit and walk by the spirit to the glory of christ you have a beautiful mission in christ jesus the same mission as john the baptist to pave the way to make straight the way to keep pointing to jesus as the only only way to life he must increase we must decrease today maybe you have to repent of some sinful living maybe you have to repent of some complacent living, some lazy living, and that's okay, too. That's why we open up the Word of God. That's why we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, and so this morning, as we sing again, let's respond. I know it's a little different outside. It's a little like, eh. if you need prayer, there'll be a few of us available for prayer. Maybe, I don't know, let, maybe off here to this. Dan, you cool over there by the bench? Dan, I'll pray with you. I see Chris in the back. Maybe, Chris, you want to make your way towards one of the sides. I'll be over here as well. If you need prayer for anything, anything that the Holy Spirit puts in your heart, please have someone to pray with you this morning, and let's keep responding to the gospel of Jesus. Father, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit alive in your church. God, have your way in us. Convict us. Change us. Empower us to be your church to the glory of Christ Jesus. We love you. We thank you. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together. And if you need prayer, please sing.